0: What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Founders Journal. I'm Alex Lieberman, co-founder and executive chairman of Morning Brew. As I have mentioned, with the new and improved Founders Journal, I'm going to act as your startup Sherpa, reading the internet so you don't have to, and breaking down the best stuff that I find. On today's episode, I break down one of my favorite issues of one of my favorite newsletters, No Mercy, No Malice, which explores why some entrepreneurs are considered visionaries and others are called a fraud. Now, for those of you that haven't heard of it, No Mercy, No Malice is the brainchild of Scott Galloway, the part-time NYU professor, part-time podcaster, part part time entrepreneur and full-time shit stirrer, and I mean that in the best possible way. I really love Scott, I respect everything that he's built, and I especially love his newsletter. So, without further ado, let's hop into the episode. A new seller's plans and goals usually boil down to one single desire, getting their products in front of millions of customers. After all, visibility is everything, and that's exactly what Walmart Marketplace can give you. Walmart.com has more than 120 million unique monthly visitors, according to Comscore, making Walmart Marketplace one of the fastest-growing e-commerce platforms. Now, they want to help sellers bask in this glory. New sellers who join Walmart Marketplace today can save up to 50% off referral and fulfillment fees. Conditions apply. To unlock this deal, gain access to millions of customers, and enjoy the scale of one of the world's biggest retailers, go to marketplace.walmart.com slash FJ. That's marketplace.walmart.com slash FJ. Tell Me a Story by Scott Galloway from No Mercy, No Malice, published on August 25th, 2023 quote, a man's reach should exceed his grasp or what's a heaven for, end quote, Robert Browning. Entrepreneur is a synonym for salesperson and salesperson is the pedestrian term for storyteller. Pro tip, no startup makes sense. We entrepreneurs are all imposters who must deploy a fiction, i.e. story, that captures imaginations and capital to pull the future forward and turn rhyme into reason. No business I have started, at the moment of inception, made any sense until it did or didn't. The only way to predict the future is to make it. I want to pause here. It feels cliche at this point, but I've always said how storytelling is an entrepreneur's greatest weapon. It is the tool that bridges vision with reality and gives employees, investors, and customers the conviction to hop on board even if it doesn't make total sense. It's also why I think the perfect entrepreneur is a default optimist with low-grade paranoia because if you are a cynic or a pessimist, you will find every reason to not start a new business because, frankly, every new business idea has flaws that would give you good reason to never launch the thing in the first place. Let's keep it going. This is not the same thing as lying. There's a real distinction between an entrepreneur and a liar. Entrepreneurs believe their story will come true. This requires confidence and delusion. It helps to be somewhat detached from reality. To assume that, for whatever reason, you are the one who can see into the future and that in the new world, your product or service will be needed and successful despite overwhelming evidence, i.e. the current reality that it's not. A reality distortion field, if you will. Let's pause here. First of all, the concept of reality distortion field dates back to the early Apple days. Bud Tribble, who was an engineering and design leader that worked on the original Macintosh, would describe Steve Jobs and his charisma as a reality distortion field that would have this persuasive power over the engineers working on the original Mac. Second, let's talk about this word delusion. Do you need delusion to be a successful entrepreneur? I personally don't think so. Let me read you the definition. Delusion is defined as a, quote, false belief or judgment about external reality. But I actually think you need the exact opposite of delusion as a founder. I actually think the best founders prove that the rest of the world is delusional, stuck in their ways because of some story they have about how the world works. And if successful as a founder, you are actually pulling the rest of society out of their own delusion. Now, I will agree that overconfidence is required to be a great entrepreneur, especially as a first-time founder. Take my co-founder and myself as an example. We were 21 and 19, had zero media experience, but thought we could build Morning Brew, which would be the Wall Street Journal for our generation. We actually saw very clearly why there was an opportunity, meaning we weren't deluded in that sense, but there definitely had to have been a bit of arrogance in order for us to think that we were actually qualified to succeed in what our vision was. Let's keep it going. The crazy ones. A vision that's not widely derided likely isn't much of a vision. MLK was a radical reformer who had a 63% disapproval rating at the height of his activism. Women were perceived as physically incapable of the demands of flight until Amelia Earhart landed her Lockheed Vega in an Irish farmer's field. Steve Jobs was a Zen Buddhist college dropout who believed he didn't need to shower because he only ate fruit and that you could treat pancreatic cancer with juice therapy. He also believed that he could put computers in the homes and pockets of everyone on Earth. Crazy. Being a great storyteller carries risks. Success begets acolytes who tell you you're right when you're wrong. Worse, you start believing them. This leads down a dangerous path where vision breaks from reality and likely aided by a fear of failure, curdles your confidence into a con. I want to pause here for a second. This is such an important point, and it goes beyond just being a great storyteller. As you find success as an entrepreneur, you will notice more and more people that blindly agree with you. And at first glance, you'll enjoy it. You'll enjoy the blind agreement because it will make you feel smart and important. But it is a trap that you need to avoid at all costs. And you have to assume as a founder, especially if you're a compelling speaker and have some track record of success, that by default, you will get lots of thoughtless head nodding. It's dangerous to you and your business because you'll have one brain thinking for the company rather than dozens or hundreds of brains, which means it's your responsibility to build a culture in which people are encouraged to challenge ideas, especially if the ideas come from you. The best way to build this culture is to make sure your senior leaders feel comfortable challenging you and also by soliciting radical candor from people and rewarding them when they actually give it to you. Let's keep it going. Elizabeth Holmes. Holmes was assembled in a factory from parts of prior visionaries. Smart, Stanford Dropout, Turtleneck, building blood testing technology, plus a nice backstory. Her professor told her the original concept for Theranos would never work. In addition, hundreds of millions in funding from backers, including Tim Draper and Larry Ellison, coupled with covers on Fortune and Forbes, were a heavy blanket of affirmation that ensured Miss Holmes was a visionary. The visionary narrative is a self-perpetuating machine, a flywheel of storytelling, capital, and the future that capital can pull forward, which buttresses the storytelling and so on and so on. Fun fact: Miss Holmes cost her investors less than a billion dollars, didn't make any real money herself, and is going to prison. Adam Newman cost his investors eleven billion dollars, received a ten percent commission on those losses, and is going to Coachella. Note: Miss Holmes's vision progressed to the exaggeration slash fabrication of contracts and clients, whereas Mr. Newman's only went so far as accounting irregularities. I just want to make one point here. Clearly, Scott is trying to make the comparison between Holmes and Adam Newman, and how Elizabeth Holmes got the short end of the stick going to jail, and Adam Newman didn't go to jail and actually made a couple billion dollars from a business that lost almost all of its value. And while I think the comparison is an interesting one, and you'll see that Scott explores further in this piece, I do think the level of rigor by which we look at healthcare technology founders who are drawing blood and diagnosing patients just has to be a higher standard than what we hold other founders to, just by nature of what the business is. Let's keep going. When I say Steve, you say jobs. Fast forward, there was no working technology and Miss Holmes has been convicted by a jury of her peers and faces 20 years in prison. Soon after, VCs distanced themselves, claiming they'd seen through the facade. The tell for people who exaggerate for a living is, after it's been deemed illegal, they begin preaching the importance of restraint. The narrative being wrapped around the very unlikable Miss Holmes is that she's an outlier. No, she's just one point on the line that is our storytelling economy in a frothy part of the cycle. The Valley's always-tell-the-truth sermon is reductionist and hypocritical. So basically what he's saying here is that people in the Valley preach that, founders should always tell the truth, but it's hypocritical because so many founders who are successful and who didn't go to jail didn't tell the truth in the early days of their business when they were selling a vision. It ignores the fact that many of our nation's most valuable companies are priced on promises of technologies that don't exist. The entire venture capital industry, in fact, is predicated on promising things that don't exist. Microsoft, perhaps the most successful tech company in history, got its break when Bill Gates sold IBM, an operating system he didn't have. He and Paul Allen subsequently bought what they needed from another programmer, but they didn't tell him that they had the deal with IBM to distribute it. Allegedly, an engineer at the company coined the term vaporware a year later. Let me pause here for a second. For context, vaporware, if you're not familiar with it, is simply software or hardware that has been advertised to a potential customer, but it isn't yet available to buy because it hasn't been built in full yet. And while Vaporware is this kind of weird, jargony term. This is actually not a new concept. Any smart, scrappy startup runs in this way. Any founder you talk to who wants to be smart about their costs, especially if they're bootstrapping their business, they will test demand before they build the thing, whatever the thing is, so they don't have to pay for the cost of building the thing if there is no demand. There is literally a popular startup strategy known as the fake or painted door test, where the whole idea is that you would present customers with a prototype of your product. In many cases, that prototype is just a landing page that says what your product is, but the product doesn't actually exist yet. And then you observe how many potential customers will try to click on it or try to buy the product so that you can understand if there's appetite for your business before actually building it. So this idea of selling a product before it exists is nothing new and it's never gonna go away. Let's keep it going. Promising something that doesn't exist is as central to the Valley ethos as late-night coding sessions, hoodies, and the hallucination that the public has asked you to solve the world's problems versus just do less damage. And here are some quotes that Scott includes from famous founders. Google Glass will be broadly available you won't have to jump through any hoops. That's from Sergey Brin in 2013. And again, these are examples of selling the vision versus the product that actually exists. Can we build a better phone for Prime members? The answer is yes. Jeff Bezos in 2014. Clearly, the phone didn't exist yet. A year from now, we will have over a million cars with full self-driving. Elon Musk 2019. Definitely didn't exist in 2019. And I'm sure that it didn't exist a year later in 2020 as well. Yes, claims about healthcare solutions warrant scrutiny beyond whether or not rich investors get their money back. But Holmes wasn't convicted for defrauding patients. She's going to prison because she ripped off George Shultz, not because her bogus blood test machine errantly told someone that they had HIV. Now, the point Scott is making here is, sure, you can argue that Elizabeth Holmes should be held to a higher standard because she was running a blood testing company, which is what I mentioned earlier, but he's saying that's not even why she went to prison. She was sent to prison because investors with a lot of power were ripped off after investing in Theranos. Let's keep it going. Florida augmented reality company Magic Leap has, no joke, burnt billions of dollars since 2010 with nothing other than a failed $2,300 headset to show for it. The company routinely hyped technology that didn't exist, even using Hollywood special effects to mock up its PR videos. An early fired employee called the company's founder a quote, believer in magic. It was meant as a compliment and the tricks keep coming. In October, Magic Leap announced it had raised another $550 million and was pivoting from consumer to wait for it, healthcare. Nobody seems all that concerned that a company with a 12-year track record of false promises and fake products is now going into medicine. And with the right leadership and engineers, it could build something valuable. You know, vision and capital, and more vision and more capital. The line between vision and fraud is only drawn in hindsight. We set arbitrary deadlines for entrepreneurs to deliver on their vision, and their vision only becomes fraud when we say time's up. What if homes with five more years and another billion dollars shipped a working product or pivoted to a home testing machine for an acute respiratory syndrome? Real artist Ship by Steve Jobs. Now, I just want to say one piece about this last paragraph around what Scott said, as in the, he said, the line between vision and fraud is only drawn in hindsight. Now, I'm not sure whether I agree. But basically, what Scott is saying is that what distinguishes vision from fraud is is two things, timing and who your investors are. Now, I think about it a little bit differently, which is to say that the extent to which something is fraud is basically what is the possible damage that is created by not telling the truth. And I think this is a necessary definition and nuance because to Scott's point, founders do lie and founders do embellish and they do it necessarily to get their business off the ground. Bill Gates selling IBM an operating system he didn't have is a lie by definition. But why didn't Bill Gates get charged for fraud? I would posit that it's because the potential damage of his lie is relatively small. IBM just would have never paid him if he didn't deliver what the company was looking for. Whereas for Elizabeth Holmes, the size of the potential damage looked a lot larger for investors, definitely, but also for consumers. Let's keep it going. Heretic. When valuations are overwhelmingly driven by stories, things can get ugly. Investors will do whatever it takes to defend their narrative. Their investment depends on their flock screaming heretic at anybody who questions the scripture as the foundation doesn't hold up to more modern orthodoxies, i.e. math. Theranos employees made a video game where they shot at the Wall Street Journal reporter who exposed the company's fraud. The firm also engaged Harvey Weinstein's attack dog attorney, David Bois, to try to shut down the story. Swarming anyone who questions the narrative is a built-in feature of stocks and sectors that have gotten too far out over their skis. I often commit the crime against humanity of pushing back on Bernie bros, VC-backed unicorns, Tesla longs, meme stocks, or Web3. I do this knowing the flying monkeys and bots will attempt to burn the village to save it from my boomer views. These guys, and they're always guys, make the High Sparrows Faith Militant look thoughtful. Note, I'm going to see if I can offend everyone with this post. Hashtag squad goals. Pendulum. The pendulum swings between stories and fundamentals. Now, just one point here. What he's basically saying is in low interest, low inflation, high employment bull markets, it is about stories. In high interest rate, high unemployment bear markets, it's about fundamentals. And in the same way, you can say how when you're in a story phase, you're talking about companies' multiples as some multiple of revenue because cash flow doesn't matter as much. But then when you switch to It being about fundamentals in a more defensive market, things change to multiples of profit or EBITDA because cash flow actually matters. He then says, right now, we're still deep in the story phase. And I just want to clarify this point because as of this recording, which is February 13th, 2024, we are a lot closer to the fundamental phase than the story phase. Scott goes on to say, capital is cheap. $621 billion went to startups in 2021, a 111% jump from 2020. We're seeing record numbers of unicorns, 959 across the globe, up from 569 in 2020. The hottest sector is fintech, which accounts for 15% of these firms, all promising to become the next JP Morgan. Are they lying or telling the truth? The answer, yes, vision. There are few fundamental truisms in the markets. One of them is fundamentals. Another is cyclicality. And in my view, the atmospherics, if not sheer probability, augur that we've entered the less appealing part of the cycle. Ground zero will be a regression from fiction to nonfiction. Story stocks that represent ownership in a shitty business, not a movement. The meme trade is already unwinding. Blind. The darkest side of our idolatry of innovators is that we become blind to the costs incurred by those who are least able to bear them, and we protect those who least need protection. I think what Scott's saying here is oftentimes what happens is when entrepreneurs are charged with fraud, the entrepreneurs are the people who most need help, and the investors, who are likely the ones carrying out the lawsuits, are the ones who need the least protection. It bears repeating, Holmes is going to prison because she defrauded investors, specifically members of the Valley, aristocracy, and the global elite. Tim Draper led her seed round, and Rupert Murdoch invested $100 million. That is what brings the feds to your door. Remember Martin Shkreli, the guy who raised the price of a life-saving treatment needed by AIDS patients 56 times just because he could? He's in prison, but not for price gouging. He was convicted of defrauding investors. And Scott is calling out again here how, in this interesting, weird way, these entrepreneurs aren't being punished because they were putting patients or customers at risk. They are in jail because investors were the ones who pushed to have them put in prison. Our laws reflect our values, what we hold dear, who we deem precious, i.e. who needs protection. We've decided the rule of law in the U.S. must be a warrior for corporations and old wealthy investors. Teen girls and rural American families burying opiate addicts, fuck you, you're on your own. Who's going to jail? No member of the Sackler family, nor this guy. Life is so rich, Scott Galloway. And so this is Scott's piece on the difference between vision and fraud. And as I reflect on this piece, there's just a few final things I want to say. I, I think it goes without saying how important it is to be an exceptional storyteller or have a co-founder who's an exceptional storyteller. Because again, in the early days of a business, you don't have product, you don't have momentum, you don't have things like actual legitimacy, like earn legitimacy to show that will attract investors or customers or employees. All you have are the words that come out of your mouth and how confident the people who are on the receiving end of that are in thinking that what you're saying will actually come to be true. The last thing I'll say is whether or not I agree with Scott, I do think there's just this interesting thing, this interesting dynamic to look at, which is what are the odds of someone being called a visionary versus a fraud and how dependent is timing? What type of market you're in in dictating whether something airs more on the visionary side of the spectrum or the fraud side of the spectrum. And I think today, in the environment that we're in, where markets are more defensive, it's more about the fundamental story, as Scott alluded to, Uh, I think it's going to be very hard to be pitched as a visionary who's going to just raise on an idea with no cash flow. It's not the world we live in today. And I think this essay is more relevant than ever as we move forward and we build businesses. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Founders Journal, and I'll catch you next episode.